Trinity Park Church, good morning. It's good to see everyone. I want to invite you to go ahead and stand, and you can take out your bulletin. You'll find that at the church app or at trinityparkchurch.org. And I want to invite you to read along with me as we look at our call to worship. I just want to begin this morning by welcoming everyone, and if we have any guests that are with us, we are honored and delighted that you're here. Um, in just a moment, we're going to pray and then sing songs that point us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And there's nothing greater that we could be singing about this morning, that we find ourselves standing in uh, the grace that Christ has provided to each of us today. Uh, as I was thinking through our songs for this morning, I was reminded of what it means for us to abide, to find our dwelling place in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at two scriptures, first in the Old Testament, Psalm 91, and then in John 15. And if you would, for a moment, just look on these words with me. Psalm 91, verse 1 says this, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And then we find these words in John 15, beginning in verse 4. These words of Christ, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So let's be reminded this morning that God is both our protection, our refuge, our fortress, and we can find our resting place in him. Would you bow your heads for a moment? Let's pray together now. God most high, we praise you that you are the God from whom all blessings flow. Almighty God, our refuge and our redeemer, we extol you today. I pray, God, that you would teach us, Lord, to trust you even more. Help us to abide in the safety of your shadow. I pray as we sing these songs of you that you would help us to live bearing fruit as branches who abide in the true vine. Jesus, you are the true vine, and we thank you for the completed work that you have accomplished, saving us from our sin and reconciling us to a holy God. And so for all the ways, Lord, that we may have forgotten or find ourselves drifting from you, would you remind us now of how you invite us to find shelter in your arms? Be glorified now, Lord Jesus, as we worship you together. Amen. So let's lift our voices as we sing praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Praise to the Lord who are all things so 
Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Praise the Lord. Lord God, we praise you, for you alone are worthy. my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds his hands his feet my Savior on that cursed tree his body bound and drenched in tears they laid him down in Joseph's tomb the entrance sealed by heavy stone Messiah still and all alone oh praise the name of the Lord our God oh praise his We will sing your praise, 
Please join me in the prayer of confession as it's be printed in your phones. O Lord our God, you have searched me, uh, searched us and known us. You know not, not only what we say, but also what we think. You know not only what we say, but also what we almost said. You know how quickly our thoughts rise to praise ourselves because we are well off or capable or intellectual, boasting of your gifts as if they were our accomplishments. You know how slowly our thoughts sink to accuse ourselves even when we have turned our backs on you, fascinating ourselves with false gods whose calling we heed while ignoring your own. Truly, we need to repent of our sins. O oh God, forgive, correct, and heal us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now please take a moment to reflect on how the Holy Spirit might be convicting you of your own personal sins. God in his word gives us words of pardon. Hear now some of those words of pardon. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom glory be forever and ever. Amen. And now is the time for the offering, and there is a new offering box here by the camera and the sound system. So bring your gifts here or send them online or in the mail. We deeply appreciate it. You know, it's your gifts that enable us to come together and meet together in fellowship and sharing our lives with each other. Amen. Let's continue to worship the Lord together. Hear these words from Psalm 27. We're going to sing them in just a moment. Verse 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Verse 5 says, for he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. And then verse 14 says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Again, I say, wait for the Lord. Let's stand now and sing those words together.
Trinity Park. My name is Charity Starchenko. I'm a digital media coordinator here and also on the missions team. Trinity Park strives to proclaim Christ in redemptive community among neighbors and nations. Redemptive community, which might sound somewhat heady at first, is a beautiful expression to describe how we grow together in Christ. By acknowledging that Jesus is the greatest hope for every human soul, we can begin to put in context all the issues that divide us and recognize that at the foot of the cross, the ground is level and we are all equal. And this is what allows us to grow internally in love toward each other and in unity to lean in love toward the world. Missions is an example of redemptive community at its best. If we think of missions like a rope, some of us hold the rope with time and prayer and finances, and some of us are at the other end of it, carrying the gospel to people and places who don't have it. Redemptive community then applied to missions invites us to consider and support others as they live out their calling to proclaim Christ among their neighbors in their nations. So what's happening now at the other end of the rope we're collectively holding at Trinity Park? How are our global partners proclaiming Christ among their neighbors and in their nations? Jonathan and Maggie Iverson, who are transitioning to a new season of ministry in Asia, hosted a prayer summit this week for India which is being brought to its knees by COVID and an immense need of medical supplies, prayer, and the gospel. In Scotland, Ali Sewell and Haddington Community Church returned to in-person Sunday morning worship after more than a year of live stream only services. Ali recently shared that it was profoundly encouraging to see church members reaching out to other members who struggle with physical pain and the isolation of lockdown and seeing them continue to grow in grace and faith through these connections that are online. In Belarus, political turmoil and the oppression of human rights is still a serious challenge for the country. But one family in Minsk who planned to move to Poland began following Slava Vyazovsky's church on YouTube called Evangelical Reformed Presbyterian Church and has decided to remain in Minsk despite COVID and social unrest and oppression because of the church and Slava's work there so that they could continue growing in their faith. In Central Asia, Hong Ji and his wife Jung continue to work among the local community in their city. Their daughters have recently located to other places for university and they've been unable to visit with family due to COVID. And while the challenges are real and draining, they continue to place their hope in Jesus and reach out to those around them in their local community with the gospel. Ian and Dar continue to work in Southeast Asia and to work in their local church and work among refugees in this, the refugee community in their city. Stateside, Tom and Lisa coach overseas workers to help them stay where they are. As overseas workers have been in lockdown, local friends have been in contact with them to make sure that they are okay and to ask them about hope and how they themselves can have sustaining hope. Po Wing Tam has been unable to teach in Asia in the last year due to lockdown, 
but has continued to build relationships with theological schools and is training to be a volunteer internet missionary with global outreach media. And locally, church planners Tim Inman and Russell McCutcheon in Dunn and Nightdale, respectively, are reopening their churches to new spiritual growth and opportunities to impact their communities with the gospel. And Chris Cooper has continued to help students find their faith during co the COVID pandemic through his work with RUF at North Carolina Central University. If you have a love for missions or an, even just an interest in missions and are interested in joining the missions team, you can contact Christine Branson, our team leader, or myself after the service to learn more about our work and how you can be part of the team. Thank you. It's, uh, I have to say this ahead of time. We're going to pray now, and I hope you'll join me in prayer, but it's nice to see people in their whole faces. Who could complain about this, you know? And overcast, so we don't have to have the heat bearing down on us. Wonderful. Hey, we should thank God for this day. It's a beautiful day. It's a day the Lord has made. So please join me in praying now, will you? <clears throat> Father God, in your silence, you are really a mystery to us, and yet you have revealed yourself to us in the Old Testament and, 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 in, and in the person of Jesus Christ. We can't help but recall that when you passed before Moses, you told him of your attributes, uh, your core values. You declared that you were a God merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness and keeping steadfast love for thousands and even forgiving immoral behavior or grossly unfair behavior for missing the mark for sin and rebellion. But you also reminded him that you were one who will by no means clear the guilty and that you visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Those are attributes that give us hope, and yet they lead us to pause and reflect on our behavior. God, we are grateful for simple things like family, bread to eat, clean water to drink, work to do, friends in Christ, <laughs> and even this morning, gas in the pump. We bear your image, yet incompletely because we're separated by our unholiness. 
and the human limitations of our mind and body. And we are only too aware that we have been expelled from the Garden of Eden for our sin. And so our daily lives have elements of fear and turmoil. We ask ourselves, is my work good enough? Will my kids turn out okay? What can I do to make my spouse happy? My body needs healing, and so does my mind. Why is there conflict among brothers and sisters, especially brothers and sisters in Christ? How can we have peace in such a broken world? Your word reminds us of the first conflict among brothers, Cain and Abel, over proper worship, followed by the conflict between Jacob and Esau over birthright and inheritance, and then between Joseph and his brothers over their father's favoritism. These episodes show us that real life outside of the garden is to warn us and to make us aware of our need for your divine intervention ever and always. Satan crouches at our door, using the innocence and subtlety of the pervasive culture and its influence on us. His evil influence would divide us into tribes, tribes that are tempted to be more than simply Christian, but to identify with a particular political tribe or an economic system tribe, or you name your social issue tribe. And we increasingly identify, as we do that, with that particular tribe, we build up a wall of hostility between us. How can we be so surprised? Because instead of peacemaking, we prefer a selfish form of peace. Peace on my terms, which lead to conflicts. And God, just as you warned Cain that sin was crouching at his door, and sin desires was contrary to Cain, and he must rule over it. So you warn us by his example that we must rule over our anger with our brother or sister to prevent catastrophe. Yet in the midst of all this, your spirit yearns within us to be holy. There's something within us that hungers and thirsts for righteousness, for shalom, peace on your terms. For God, we would be peacemakers for unity with brothers and sisters, with our spouses and our children and our extended families. 
we desire peace with ourselves and with you, O God. Thank you, Father, for giving us that path of redemption to wholeness, to restoration, and healing. Indeed, shalom through Jesus Christ. Only in Jesus Christ is this wall of hostility that may separate us be destroyed. So we long, O oh God, to be simply Christian as we gather to worship you. When you appeared in the human form of Jesus the Christ, the frequently repeated words of fear not, I am with you, and peace be to you, encourage us immensely. Yet how do we make this real in our everyday lives? In your word, you have revealed this to us. The psalmist declared in his first psalm that we're blessed when we delight in your word. And then we're like a tree planted by streams of water bearing fruit in its season. You said you are the vine and we are the branches and to bear fruit we need to remain in the vine. For apart from you we can do nothing. Over the years, as we remain in the vine, stay planted by the streams, delighting in your word, meditating it on it day and night, our brains change. The mind and heart of the woman at the well was changed as she heard and received about never thirsting again when drinking of the water of life that Jesus gives. And she told her whole village about it. God, help us to be so changed by the water of life that you give us that we tell our whole neighborhood about it. Help us to turn hostility into hospitality, making the enemy a friend to offer the fruit of peace in the middle of confusion, to offer security when uncertainty tears at the soul. Oh God, we long to be like you. We pray for those who are ill among us, do the work of healing according to their needs so they may give glory and honor to your name. We all know friends and relatives in need of healing and your salvation. Oh, Holy Spirit, draw them to you. In our relationships, may the Holy Spirit convict us of our sin and of our need to control of others. When we lack assurance, fill us with your presence and your courage. In our disputes, may the blood of Christ purify us and our motives. We pray for a wise and fair government that we may live peacefully. And finally, God, we thank you that Jesus prayed for us 
that we might be one, just as you and the Father, O Jesus, are one. You pray for us, not for the world, because we are your body and your means to redeem the world. We want to be your ambassadors in this broken world. Keep us loyal servants, O God, with singular purpose to represent you all along our journey. Bless us now in Christ our Lord. Amen. One through 14. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. When they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was being proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. This is the word of the Lord. It's great to see all of you this morning. Uh, it is a fun day to be together, beautiful weather, and it's great to see your faces. I know it's a little bit weird, too, to come in here. I feel like I was missing something for, for a little bit this morning, but I think we'll be able to get used to it. But it's good to see all of you here today. You know, when I was growing up in church, most often when the preacher uh, would talk about Jesus, he would talk about Jesus being Savior. Uh, how he saves us from our sins, but much more seldom would Jesus be referred to as a king. 
as someone that we should uh, submit our whole lives to. I would say that in the balance of the preaching that went on, Jesus as Savior, the Savior from my sins, was probably 95% of what was talked about. And then 5% was given to Jesus being Lord. And I grew up in a Christianity where that felt really good. I mean, honestly, to be forgiven of my sins, I mean, who doesn't want that? That sounds great. And yet, also, I had sort of incorporated into my Christianity a forgiveness of sins, which allowed me to kind of do whatever I wanted to do. So I could have Jesus as my Savior, but I was still my own functional king of my life. And it was really a great arrangement. I mean, I felt, I didn't feel guilty anymore. I didn't feel, feel ashamed. But, but I also enjoyed being in charge of my own life until I got to be in college as a junior. Some of you guys have heard my story. A lot of you are new. So I try to tell it every now and then again. But I was a junior in college, and I realized that me being my own functional Lord and master, essentially, being self-centered and, and my world revolving around me was starting to collapse on me. And the pressure of life, living as my own functional Lord, was overwhelming to me. And God began to show me that truly, in the Bible, that Jesus is Savior, but he is also, wherever he is Savior, he is also Lord. Jesus is not confused about his own identity. He's not confused. He is Savior and he is Lord. And I, Corey Jackson, and you, insert your name, do not get the opportunity to decide who Jesus is in terms of his core identity. He is Savior and Lord. That is clearly proclaimed in the scriptures. You don't get to define and determine Jesus's identity. In fact, on the other hand, flip it around. You need Jesus to help you define and determine your identity. And I began to realize that, as is said throughout this passage over and over again, Jesus is the Christ. I mean, like you, you might have grown up. I thought Christ was Jesus's last name for a long time as I was a Christian growing up. But Christ is a title. I mean, Jesus Christ is the name, the most common name we have for Jesus. But Christ means something. It means the anointed one. It means God's only chosen king. He is both Jesus, who Matthew 121 says he saves us from our sins, and he is Christ. He is the anointed one. He is the king. He is the savior, and he is the Lord. He is always the same. He is always together one savior and king. And you can't distinguish out those parts of Jesus. We talk about them separately because we have to, because we're human beings. But he's one person. He is Savior and he is Lord. And so when we encounter Christ as King, which we do in this passage, we have to be honest with ourselves. We have to really consider this passage is about considering Jesus as King. What does it mean for him to be King? Have you really considered him as king in your life? Have you submitted your life to Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ being the Christ, Yahweh incarnate, God's only chosen king is the big point of this passage. And it's the only way to make sense of what is said in, in chapter 17, verse 6. These men who have turned the world upside down. Turn the world upside down. How is that even possible that the, this, this little Jewish sect that had grown out, Jesus Christ, 
this poor man who had lived a humble life, he goes and he develops a group of followers. He calls 12 disciples. They follow him. That group grows a little bit. And then he's crucified. He's died. It is proclaimed that he is raised from the dead. And then there's a group of, there's a band of people that are following him. Now a thousand miles away in Thessalonica from Jerusalem, there is a group of people who are so following Jesus, so patterning their life around Jesus because they believe he's king.